0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net Do you ever have a song or a hymn that just it's an interesting phrase, but just lands on you? It just resonates with you? Uh, At the risk of having told this in years past here. Don't believe so. Uh, just a quick story. Uh, Margaret McClellan was born in 1921 in East Tennessee. Uh, I'm, pardon me, in East Kentucky. And uh, a modest family had a small business, but they loved Jesus. And together they really valued God's Word, and they shared God's Word together, and they were a praying family. And Margaret grew up, remember, born in 1921. She went to college. College in the World War II years was not really accessible to everybody, and many women didn't go, but Margaret went. And then she had a sense of call to ministry, so she went to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And having graduated from there, As a woman in about 1949, I think, uh, she had a decision to make. And prayerfully, she ended up in Columbus, Mississippi, as a Baptist Student Union Director at MSCW, Mississippi School, College for Women. Yeah, whatever it is. It's MUW today. She ended up at the W as the BSU Director. And she married... Um, Bob, and they had two children, Susan and Ray. Ray, as a 12 and 13-year-old, became my best friend. Ray, to this day, is one of the most straight-up, Jesus-loving, smartest characters I know. And Ray directly impacted and witnessed to me as a 13-year-old. Invited me to church through a Sunday school teacher, made sure I was welcomed, became part of that group. Trusted Christ, and the rest of my life, there's a certain thread that I can see looking back in God's faithfulness. Margaret McClellan impressed upon Ray this love for the Lord and the high value of God's word, and it was just simply a faithful family. And Margaret Lewis, married name, prayed for me. I think she may have prayed me into the ministry. I'm sure she prayed me away from some other things. I'm sure of that. About 10 years ago, Margaret uh, died and met Jesus face to face. And I went to the funeral. And the room was full of guys like me. And the hymn that lands on me is great as thy faithfulness. Because it was her favorite hymn. And it's interesting how God uses music and sometimes moments or memorials to take us someplace. So this morning I find myself at East Haven. It's been such a privilege and I'm standing on the front row and we're singing Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I'm thinking about the faithfulness of God in and through Margaret and then her faithfulness in loving response to Him. And I am very, very grateful it's interesting as we look at our own kids who love the Lord and who are involved in ministry, we see this legacy and it's it's not us, it's ultimately God and his faithfulness. Not to be disingenuous, it matters how you parent and matters who and what you love, but God is so faithful to us. This morning's been uh, special in a couple of ways already. Last week, I, I just Wanted to love all over you because of Trunk or Treat. I had driven up here on Saturday night and it was incredible and huge engagement by volunteers throughout this body. It was a great expression of kindness and ministry to the community. And this morning we've heard a couple of themes already. I heard Franklin Graham talk about Operation Christmas Child. Now listen, I'm a really classy, gracious, you like the way this is starting? I'm a really classy, gracious, easygoing guy. I would never shame you, but you can't get to 100 boxes, really? Really? People, 100 shoeboxes, 100? Some of you people ought to do 50 by yourself. No pressure. I want to encourage you. I don't know if you realize that there is a testimony attached to that box that lands somewhere in the world a testimony to Christ, and uh, I mean I would never shame you. Yes, I would. Seriously, I would. I mean I'd, I would never shame you. But if you have never done this, it's simple. It's a shoebox. They're in the they're in the fellowship hall, the commons, the foyer, whatever you call that here. They're out there. Pick it up. You can go to the dollar store. And really fill that up with love. Pray over that box, and it'll make a difference in the life of a child somewhere. And then we've talked about the persecuted church, and thank you for praying for the persecuted church. Uh, we have first world problems. You know this, right? Uh, occasionally, we're sitting in our air conditioned worship center, and our biggest problem is somebody got to Cracker Barrel before we did. And that's kind of where we live sometimes. And I'm not diminishing the fact that all of us live in a broken, fallen world and there is pain and suffering and the winds blow and the rains come and, and we live in tents that break down. I'm not diminishing any of that. But the church, the body of Christ, is suffering all over the world from persecution. And we have this unique and distinct opportunity to pray on their behalf. Two great themes this morning. Hey, I'm I'm really so privileged to be here. You've been so very kind. And I mentioned last week that uh, I'm aware that any given Sunday morning could be somebody's first time to be here at East Haven. It might even be somebody's first time to really hear the gospel in a way that God infuses by the presence of his spirit to bring repentance in a heart. to bring encouragement in life and I'm just aware that that may even be the case this morning thank you for your presence if you have a bible if you'll turn to Romans 5 uh, Romans 5 let me remind us what we're doing we're taking a look at the big picture of Romans we're taking kind of the high view of what happens in this letter that Paul writes and I'm going to do some very very quick review I I can't help it I've got to do this because I want us to get this And by the time we finish, land this in the end of Romans in several weeks, I really would love for all of us to have a a fresh grasp of the big picture of Romans. Uh, Paul writes and he basically says that he's an apostle and he loves this church at Rome and he hopes to get there and it's going to be about the gospel. And Paul, who was Saul, is a Jewish rabbi by training and by life and by vocation But he's come to Christ in that Damascus Road experience and he's writing the church at Rome to say whether you're Gentile or Jew, the gospel is for you. And he says, as we've quoted often, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then the Gentile. That's the 16th verse of the first chapter. And if there was a theme through Romans, that would be it. He continues to say, God has exhibited himself in his divine nature and his power in such a way that nobody's without excuse, nobody. And he says, men, wholly responsible for themselves, we're culpable for our own sin. Uh, God's judgment uh, has resulted in God's salvation for us in Christ, and it is his kindness that leads us to Repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, and that's a great word. And I mentioned, I think four weeks ago, but it's so true, and I don't think I can say it often enough. The work of the Spirit demonstrates God's presence in our life, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And then we see that God's standard of righteousness is displayed. And there is a righteousness. I think about something that's upright. There's a standard that's displayed. And we don't have that. Uh, God's faithfulness is exhibited in his righteousness. It's a part of his character. His righteousness is explained by uh, the reality of the law. And then just two weeks ago, we learned the Ten Commandments. We just had a fun morning uh, if you'll play along with me, if you were here, if you're not here, you'll be totally confused. But we learned the Ten Commandments in about two minutes. Number one, God's number one. Say it with me. Uh, no, like really say it with me. You ready? I mean, that was awesome. No, it wasn't. Here we go. God's number one. Number two, you take scissors and you do what? You cut out idols. Say it. Cut out idols. Three, what does this look like? W. Think this phrase, watch your words. Say it, watch your words. Number four, four people in a car going to church, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Four people in a car doing what? Going to church. That's right. Five, you make this little hand, you salute, you honor your father and your mother. Six, remember this, my personal favorite. Some of you just laughed out loud. The thought of killing your other hand was overwhelming, evidently. <laughs> Bang, don't kill bang, don't kill. Seven, seven people to party, two run off and commit adultery, don't do that. Number eight, I went through this long thing about being in the Middle East and stealing a little something, getting your finger cut off. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, when Pinocchio lied, well, number eight grew back, don't lie. And number 10, y'all take both hands, reach for something like you really want it, don't covet Now, the key part of this in the morning that moves forward in the Scripture as we examine Romans is this. I said these precepts or these rules reflect a principle, and the principle reflects God's character or his personhood. Precept, principle, personhood. God gives the law as a tutor, as a teacher, as a standard, so that against the law we are judged sinful. It's not that we weren't sinful before, but it gives, I like this word, it gives definition to our circumstance of sin. God gives the law to give definition to our circumstance of sin. By the way, I also have used this line. I think it's important. We sin because we're a sinner. We're not a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're a sinner. That's our nature because we are lost and left to our own devices because sin entered the world. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I said it's always been faith. Faith is a centerpiece in this treatise of of Paul to the church at Rome. And he describes Abraham. So he's making a case, particularly for those who were Jews, who saw Abraham as the covenant receiver And he makes the case basically that circumcision, this physical outward sign, or his willingness to even sacrifice his son, those are not the things that were credited as righteousness to Abraham, it was his faith that was credited as righteousness. And that for all of us it has always been faith. He was delivered, Jesus, over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It's just as if we had not had these charges against us. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then in the fifth chapter, verses 3 through 11, we are loved, we're saved, we're justified, and we're reconciled. Today, uh, if you have your Bible open to the fifth chapter of Romans... I don't believe today we're going to walk through every sentence of these passages. We've been reading every piece of this. But I want to give you some sort of fill-in-the-blank understandings as we visit some key themes in this passage. Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. This is a passage that talks about our sin nature. And it's, it's taking us to really good news. And we see the really good news in chapter 7 and 8. But it begins, remember, as a rabbi making the case here, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through the sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law, to be sure, or before the law, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Let me back up and say that again. Death reigned, still the consequence of sin, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. Because they had not had the commands, we just reviewed them that were given to Moses. As did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. There is a... um, there's a, there's a rabbinical argument here that goes basically like this. Adam shook his fist in the face of God. Even, you know the story, the account, blamed Eve, shirking responsibility. Through Adam, sin entered the world. We are a, a, we are a, a people, a humanity who deals with the reality of sin in our life. There have been a lot of theories about this through the ages, a lot of theological posturing. There's some who believe that a child is born without sin. Hey, parents, have you ever had a child? I mean, I don't I don't want to burst anybody's bubbles here, but children are selfish and sinful. Yeah, I love mine, I love yours, and I know you do, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids are sinful. Because we're all sinful. Uh, it's not just developmentally that we look out for ourselves and we have a little survival instinct. We're sinful. It becomes about me and my. And, and we can't help it. It, it. I say we can't help it. We take responsibility for it. But it is within our nature to be about us. I've mentioned uh, on occasion, I, I've got a couple of grandchildren. And my three-and-a-half-year-old that I've mentioned to you before is a character She's in three-year-old preschool and, and it's her first day and everybody's cleaning up and my granddaughter goes and sits in a chair and says, y'all clean up. I'll be sitting over here in the thinking chair. She's three. Why does she do that? Well, because she's brilliant. No, she does that because she's sinful. It's just, it's the nature. Occasionally, uh, I do a... Uh, kind of a piece of a talk, and I'll talk about where we find our deepest meaning and satisfaction. I'll do that here at some point, I'm sure. Uh, But I say, and I've heard this often in my life, I've heard young families, young mothers in particular, not exclusively, but in particular, say, and then I had a child because at least I'd have someone who loved me unconditionally. Hey, parents, your kids love you unconditionally? You ever taken anything away from I'll tell you what, just whip up that cell phone from your child. See if they love you unconditionally in the moment. I, that's not our nature. Our nature is sin. Paul's writing and he's saying uh, there's a sin that has entered through Adam. In the fifth chapter, verses 20 and 21, and we're skipping some today to some key passages here. Uh, Paul writes and he says, Uh, The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me read that again. The law was added that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So... The law defines sin, that sin increases, according to the words of Paul here, in that it is defined and it holds us more and more responsible, and we have this sin awareness. But where sin increased, grace increases all the more. Grace masters that and covers the sin, and that's part of the good news. Let me tell you about a friend of mine named David. Now, David is not his real name because I'm in Mississippi with you and we all know somebody who knows somebody. So I won't use his real name, but David, man, he was a great young man. I knew him as a junior high student and then a high school student a lot of years ago. And he had a heart for Jesus, no doubt. Had a great family and a father who was in the ministry and David spent time with me and with several of my friends. He had a great friendship with one of the young men in my youth group, who is now a pastor, as uh, David is a pastor as well. David loved Jesus, wanted to know all about walking with Jesus, and he went through college, and uh, I think the, the term that we love so much is he might have sowed some wild oats. I'm not sure even what that phrase meant, but we all know what it means in real life. Had some moments. Still loved Jesus, kind of got back on the track, found himself at seminary. And he discovered, ready, the grace of God. Because the grace of God is truly, as we sing it, it's amazing. It's amazing that God loves us not because of our behavior, but he loves us out of his character. And he loves us as a way for him to build a bridge to us, to bring us into relationship with him when we've been sinners And my friend David discovered grace, that God's grace covers all this sin. And where sin increases, grace increases that much more. And then he began enjoying some some hobbies that were less than wholesome. He developed some patterns in his life. And he lived with some license, we would say, in his life, some freedom of lifestyle choices. Now he and his wife, great, he's got great kids all of that. But he was enjoying some things that as a young believer, he would have never said he would have uh, participated in. And that's not unusual. Most of us have some some wanderings in our life. We have some struggles because we're struggling with sin. But here's what I want you to hear. Watch this. But I heard this young man in his time in seminary say out loud to me, well, It's not a problem for me to do those things. I just pull out God's grace card, and it covers me. This is what Paul's writing about. Paul's saying the law brings definition. It increases what sin is about, and grace is increased. But he's saying, and we're about to read, but should our sin increase, taking advantage of God's grace, Far be it from being ever true of us, that we would take advantage of the grace of God. In the sixth chapter, Paul's writing and he's talking about how once we come to Christ, we are crucified with him. We have an old self. And the old self has a propensity for a leaning for sin, but we actually have a new life. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul's writing in Romans 6 verses 5 and 6, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin because Christ rules in us. He lives in us. It's no longer some sort of fabrication of a plan to help us get away with sin. It is a death to sin. It is sin on the cross so that we can live to life. I don't have this all figured out. I I still struggle with sin. Don't look at me with that judgment. Because you do too, every one of you. You struggle. Paul struggled. He had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. He knew the, what we would count as the Old Testament by heart. He was a trained rabbi who had this incredible conversion. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And Paul struggled, which we're about to read about soon the reality is we have an old self and we have a new self and the new self receives the grace of God by the presence of God, the sacrifice of Christ and the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit in our life that we would no longer be mastered by sin. Romans, says, Romans 6 says to be uh, counting ourselves dead to sin. I am dead to sin. I'm alive to Christ. Romans 6.14 says we have a new master. There's this picture that was common throughout the world. This picture of one who owned another person. It was literally slavery. And sin was our master. But in Christ we have a new master. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law. But under grace. Grace. Now, it's not about the grace card. It's not us living our life any way we want to because God loves us as a demonstration of his character. It is the surrender of our life to a master who is Christ, who empowers us by the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't take advantage of him. We would not count on God to cover our willful decisions, but we would now see ourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. I tell you why this is so complicated. It's so complicated because we still struggle, so we find ways to work around what we know we ought to do. And if you've heard the gospel and you understand that uh, from the from the simplest earliest verses learned that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and you live in that, it is quite possible to do the tour in your mind that says, well, then he doesn't really care all that much about what I do, so I'll just step over here or step over here into sin. But we're not a slave to sin. Sin is not our master. We live new life, through his righteousness. Romans 6.23. I love this verse. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the summation this morning. This, this is it this morning. Sin. Though we're no longer slaves to it. Sin, no longer our master, but Christ. Sin still is an expression of death. Sin is is death. But the Spirit brings life. And the decision I have to make every day as a believer is, am I going to live in life? Or am I going to allow sin to have some reign in my life? Am I going to allow sin to capture my imagination and my attention and to move me to do and think and be about things that are not Christ-honoring? We are no longer slaves to sin, but we have a new master who is Christ. Simple illustrations... Simple thoughts. Yes, I'm surrendering my life to Christ, so I will simply walk in him. Simple sentences. But it's a lifetime of God by the work of his spirit working out and conforming us to Christ from the inside out because we still struggle with sin. We're going to talk about that next week. You know why? Because you and I still do some things we don't want to do. We think some things we don't want to think. We end up in some places we don't want to end up, literally, and, and in theory, we just find ourselves further and deeper than we ever intended to because we make decisions and allowances for sin. We struggle, and God's got an answer for struggle. It's the work of his spirit and the grace of God. That's what I want you to hear this morning, and I want you to know I'm hearing it too. We're all walking in this together. God, by your grace, can you give me the power, the insight, the truth of your word that I can live not as a slave to sin but with a new master and that is the spirit of a God who loves me and extends grace to me. Would you pray with me? Father, I am grateful for your grace. I'm grateful that no matter where I go, what I do, that nothing can separate me from your love that you extend through your grace, paid for by Christ on the cross on my behalf. And Father, I'm thankful for the truth that I'm no longer a slave to sin. Sin is not my master, but Jesus, I confess with my lips, and Lord, Continue to empower me to live with my life, that you are my master. Heavenly Father, we sing occasionally, I surrender all in this place. and God, it seems to be something we'd aspire to, that we'd surrender all, but we struggle. So thank you that you empower us and speak to us and you continue to work in us. I'm grateful that you call us sons and daughters that we understand that your grace is unearned and that we can't gain it and we can't lose it by what we do. It is your expression of love to us. Today, Father, my heart for every man and woman and child in this room would be that they'd walk out with a deep abiding sense of your grace in their life. They'd be recipients of your love. They would walk in the power of your spirit that they like me, would no longer be slaves to sin, but they would be slaves to righteousness. Thank you, Father, for the body of Christ that is East Haven, for gathering today, for what you're doing in our lives. Father, I'm grateful for this church that it moves forward, even as you're bringing somebody to pastor this body. I'm grateful for the love and the generosity and The obedience that I see displayed here over and over and over. Now, God, I I pray if there is a person, a family, a woman, a man, a child who has not trusted you, that today they would know that as a sinner, as somebody separated by you, by their nature, that they could be bought back, received loved by you today. We know you love us. We're thankful for you. Father, we pray that if there's a man or a woman, a couple, a family, a child, who needs to be a part of this body, I pray that there would be clear action and prompting by your Spirit. And Lord, we know that baptism is an expression of obedience that shows how we die to ourselves and we live to you. And I pray this morning if somebody has baptism that still needs to be done in their life as a public profession of their faith in Jesus, that today would be a day that they would make that commitment and move that direction. God, thank you for worship that honors you, that is centered on the gospel. And I pray in our time together, the time that remains, Our worship and our response would both honor you. We surrender to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. This is an expression of response. And if God's doing something in your life and heart, and you need to uh, make that public, or you want to be prayed for, something going on in your life, We would love to meet you here at the front to be a part of that. Let's stand together. Let's continue to worship. If God's put something in your heart, in the area of obedience, you respond as we sing.